you know, this is really good, Oss. Perhaps writing might be something you end up doing with your life. These are words that my grandpa, Colonel Douglas Felix Carty, said to me one autumn afternoon in the year 2000. I was a sophomore in college at the time, and I'd written a short story, my first ever. And seeing as my grandpa was not only my hero, but was also someone whose insight I deeply admired, I'd therefore taken the story to him to be my first reader. Well, his words fell over me that day like fresh rain. Watering a creative seed I had until then not even known lay dormant inside me. Since that time, I have, of course, written many more things, and as a pastor, writing is one of the core responsibilities of my vocation. And here is why I tell you this this morning. My grandpa's words that day served as external validation of something that I had recently begun to feel deep within myself. Not that writing would be something that I'd end up doing with my life, that thought had not yet occurred to me, but rather that writing was something that I had a knack for, an inclination toward, a calling to. Which is to say, when I sat down to write that first short story, I didn't just feel like I had a talent for it, but much more significantly, I felt deep joy in doing it. The kind of joy that one only feels when he or she is engaged in something that resonates at a deep and profound level. In other words, it wasn't just fun to me, and it wasn't just that I felt like someone might like my story. It's that the act of writing itself seemed to be calling forth something inside of me, something in me. I hope that's making some sense. Now, as I tell you this story, I'm aware that this might sound thus far a bit self-serving or even self-congratulatory. I truly hope not, because that's far from the point. But to get to the point, I need to now shift gears, and I need to talk about two well-known films, and then I need to talk about the Earth's rotation around the sun, and then finally I need to talk about what prayer really is. Does that sound good to y'all? Okay. Then first to the hit Disney film, Frozen 2. Now, having daughters age seven and five, I've seen this movie somewhere in the ballpark of 79,000 times. And it's a truly lovely film with clever humor and deeply moving and touching moments. But in the film, like in so many of the recent Disney films, there's an implicit message about identity that I think needs to be further examined. For it's a message not only about finding one's identity, but about how to find one's identity. 
And I use Frozen 2 rather than any other recent Disney film as my example because the answer given in Frozen 2 to this question is much clearer and much more apparent than it is in some of these other films. For in Frozen 2, the main character, Queen Elsa, keeps hearing a voice calling out to her, and she can't evade this voice. Now, no one else can hear this voice, only Elsa. And try as she might to shut the voice out, she can't. And so eventually she gives in to the call, and she leaves to go and follow it. And so the plot of the movie then is Elsa's journey to find the source of this voice, of this voice that she slowly begins to intuit is calling her to her own destiny, calling her to her truest sense of purpose and identity and selfhood. Still with me so far? Okay, so in the end what she finds is this. The voice that she has been hearing all the while has been her own voice. It was never an external voice, never something or someone from the outside calling to her. Instead, it was all the while an internal voice, her own voice. And thus, the message of the movie becomes very clear. Listen to your own inner voice, for only then can you find your truest self. Or as Disney's character Moana, and I love Moana, puts this same discovery when she experiences it, the call wasn't out there at all. It's inside of me. The call wasn't out there at all. It's inside of me. Okay, so that's the first film I want to talk about this morning, Frozen 2. The second film I want to talk about is the 1981 classic Chariots of Fire. Now this film, which won the Oscar for Best Picture at the 1981 Academy Awards, is the story of Scottish runner Eric Little, who due to his deep piety wrestles with whether or not to run his event in the 1924 Olympics on account of its being scheduled for a Sunday. Now, the film is about far more than that. It's about class and religion and prejudice and many more things beside. But for the purposes of this sermon, what I want to focus on this morning is Eric Little and his world-class gift for running. You see, he is far and away the swiftest sprinter in the world in 1924. Meanwhile, however, he is the child of missionaries. And he and his sister both feel the need to follow in their parents' evangelistic footsteps. Thus, throughout the film, we viewers see Little giving talks and sermons amid his training and racing. And all the while, as he does, we see his sister Jenny growing increasingly frustrated with Eric's commitment to running, with his love for it. For in Jenny's eyes, running is a hobby that is distracting Eric from his real work, from that which she feels he's really called to do, which is to be a full-time missionary. 
And so then comes the scene I bring this all up so as to talk about this morning, the scene that I ultimately want to set in contrast with the message I just told you about from Frozen 2. Still together. Okay, here in this powerful scene from Chariots of Fire, here Jenny has just complained to Eric once more about his running and about how it is keeping him from his calling as a missionary. And finally, Eric addresses her and addresses her impatience with his love for running by saying, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. April is dying at home right now that I just did that bad accent. I believe God made me for a purpose. And he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Here now is the difference between this message and the message from so many recent Disney films like Frozen 2. In the Chariots of Fire illustration, just as in the Frozen 2 illustration, there is indeed an innate self. That is a unique identity, an internal condition necessary for thriving. In Chariots of Fire, there is indeed a core gift within Eric Little, that were he to repress it or suppress it, would lead to him being less than his fullest, most flourishing self. This, too, is the case in Frozen 2. In both films, this is the case. The difference, however, is that in Eric Little's case, the voice that he hears calling forth this unique identity within himself is an external voice. It is not his own. Whereas in Frozen 2, the voice Elsa hears calling forth her unique sense of self is not an external voice, but it is an internal voice. It is her own voice. And the difference between these two things is all the difference in the world. Because the first, the chariots of fire example, bespeaks identity by design. Meaning there is someone we have been created to be. Means there are gifts and desires and longings within us, planted within us, to which we are called to respond. The second example, however, the Frozen 2 example, bespeaks identity by self-creation. Meaning we design our own identity based on what we feel or sense our identity should be. What feels right. And in this example, we don't respond to anything outside of ourselves. We merely respond to ourselves. And here then is the crux of the matter. The difference between saying the call is out there and I hear it inside of me. The difference between saying that and saying with Moana, the call isn't out there at all. It's inside of me. 
Well, the difference between those two things, dear family, is all the difference in the world. And that leads me to Psalm 19 and to the poetic language the psalmist uses to discuss the movement of the sun. Now, the psalmist, of course, lived long before Copernicus or Galileo and thus had no way of knowing that the sun did not, in fact, revolve around the earth and that it was indeed the other way around. But this bit of scientific imprecision ought not to obscure for us the beauty of what the psalmist is saying here. For here in this psalm, a psalm about the creative power of God and about the glory of God, about the designedness evident throughout all of creation, here the psalmist begins by writing, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, the psalmist goes on. Night to night declares knowledge. Then the psalmist writes, There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice, meaning the voice of the heavens and the firmament, is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world, meaning people nonetheless hear it and sense it deep inside. And then comes this lovely image. In the heavens, the psalmist goes on, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Do you catch that? The sun, the psalmist writes, runs its daily course with joy. In other words, the sun, by simply doing and being what it was made to be, experiences joy. I don't know about y'all, but I find that image and this idea to be absolutely exquisite. And it leads me, finally, to a word on prayer and on what prayer really is. For like Eric Little's sister Jenny, we too can easily find ourselves reducing Christian faith to formalities and conventions, thinking that for our faith acts to be meaningful, they must be formally pious. By which I mean just as Jenny thought that the only way that Eric could please God was by being a missionary, So too are we given to thinking that the only way that we can lift up prayers of praise and adoration to God is by verbally expressing them. And of course verbal expression is a viable way to praise God. This entire sermon series is about the importance of verbally expressing ourselves to God. But the point of this sermon in this sermon series is to highlight that verbal expression is by no means the only way to express our praise and adoration to God. That instead, just as the sun runs its course with joy, according to the psalmist, 
And just as Eric Little feels God's pleasure when he runs, so too are we awash in joy. And so too do we feel God's pleasure. And thus, so too are we expressing prayers of praise and adoration. When we hear with our inner ear the external call from God and engage in acts and activities that God himself has designed for us to do and to enjoy. We are quite literally praying to God when we do. Which leads me back to my grandpa's response to my first attempt at a short story. You know, he saved that story. And though he's been gone nearly a decade now, I still therefore have access to it. And the truth of the matter is, when I read it, I cringe. It's God-awful. But its awfulness underscores the point I'm trying to make, which is that the joy I'd felt did not come from feeling as if I'd been immediately good at something, Instead, the joy came from sensing that doing this thing was somehow intrinsic to my given identity, was something that I'd been designed to do and enjoy, was something that I didn't just decide on my own to like, but was instead something that I had been called to, like Eric Little had been called to running. And thus, it is not an exaggeration to say that from that day until now, when I write, I feel God's pleasure. Again, this doesn't mean that I'm great at it. I certainly don't think that I'm the writer that Eric Little was a runner. No, what it means is simply that I'm called to it. And thus, that I glorify God, I express praise and adoration to God whenever I do it. And as the psalmist says, no voice is heard when I pray in this way. Yet still, day by day, as the psalmist says, this praise pours forth speech. Every time I sit at my laptop. And so what then is the point, you will ask? Here's the point. Each of us has been designed by God with certain gifts and talents and purposes and longings. With unique identities. We don't self-create them. Instead, we are called to them. And it is not our own spirit that does the calling. It is the spirit of God that does the calling. And sometimes these callings take the shape of professions and life commitments. Other times they take the shape of hobbies and passions. And in many cases, these callings may take the shape of all of these things. We don't just have one. We have many of these longings and callings. I do more than right, you know. 
And so again, the point to be made is this. The call isn't just inside of us. With apologies to Moana and Frozen 2, the call comes from out there. It's we who have to listen clearly and honestly and openly to the call. But when we do, and when we follow it, we are not just finding ourselves, but we are indeed running our life's course with joy, feeling God's pleasure, expressing praise and adoration to God by living in line with who and how he created us to be. That is the point of this verse in Psalm 19. That is the point of this scene from Chariots of Fire. And this is the one note that from a Christian standpoint rings dissonant about these most recent Disney films. Beautiful and funny and moving as they are. And trust me, I love them. Watch them all the time. Nonetheless, there is all the difference in the world between running our own course with joy and running with joy the course set before us. Just as there is all the difference in the world in feeling God's pleasure and merely feeling our own. So gardeners, when you next plant your vegetables or tend your flowers, Understand that you are not just planting and tending. In so doing, you are praying a prayer of praise and adoration. And cooks, when you next mix the ingredients and taste the spoon, understand that you are not just experiencing your own pleasure at the taste you've created. You're experiencing God's pleasure too. And scholars and teachers and academics, when you bury yourselves in books and tarry onward through the highs and lows of your semester, know that you are not only making it through your course, but that in God's eyes, you, like the sun, are running your course with joy. Simply because you are living out the external call of God on your lives. Dear family, prayer is not only verbal, particularly when it comes to prayers of praise and adoration. Throughout the very acts and mundane movements of our lives, whenever we are responding to gifts and talents and longings and purposes to which we have been uniquely called by God, whenever we do, we are then expressing to God our praise and our adoration. The call is out there. We hear it in here. Day to day it pours forth speech. May we have ears to hear. May we have the willingness to respond. 
so that through abiding in God's call upon our lives, our joy, and with it God's pleasure, might be full. Amen.